Tuesday. It is always a happy Tuesday, unless at the well at the time of this recording, the Eagles will be kicking off against the Minnesota Vikings. So unfortunately, I won't know the final, nor will Dave at the time of this recording. So it could be a good Tuesday. It could be a bad Tuesday. We will just have to find out tomorrow. But could be another it, AJ Brown Tuesday. It could be another AJ Brown Tuesday. That's right. As always, that's Dave Early. We are on the Outside Podcast. And uh, we're just going to do some quick hitters, some thoughts that are coming off of a couple of topics off the site. And uh, yeah, Dave, how do you feel about that? Um, pretty good. All right. So let's start with the obvious, most important thing that I could even begin to discuss. And that is the leaking of the Sixers new City Edition jerseys. Yeah. These these were these were leaked uh, by uh, at PHL Sixers Nation. I'm going to give them a shout out real quick because they're giving us the topic here. And it's it's an all white uni, and it's city of brotherly love. City of is in blue lettering. Brotherly love is in red lettering, and then it's red numbers with blue outline, kind of in the style. I, I don't want to say sans serif, but that's kind of what it looks like. <laughs> I, listen, I'm a, I do a lot of stuff with InDesign and Publisher, so I know my fonts, Dave. Don't laugh at me. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> laughing that you know them. Um, but initial, initial thoughts, Dave, do you have any? I like them a lot. I like these jerseys that look like they could only be one team. You know what yeah. I mean? Like... I don't like looking at them when I'm like, oh, okay, that's the, that's the Suns jersey. Right. Like, like, we've seen a few teams just straight up wear someone else's jersey for their special look. So this one is clearly Philly. It's a little more, like, brotherly love is a little more Philly than Phyla, the Phyla, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think we're a step closer to Philly, which is what a lot of fans want to see on there. Um, and I think they look good. I like the all-white. Uh, I would rock one of these for sure. I was wondering when they would finally do a uniform with city of brotherly love on it. Cause it's only like the tagline of Philadelphia and has been for like, as long as we've been alive. Yeah. I wonder, is there like some people who are saying that's sexist, Like, you know, you want to, I don't know. Is there, was there pushback on that? Eh, maybe. I mean, I don't want to speculate on what uh, certain sectors of the population would think about that. Like just if ask you, Dawn Staley, if Dawn if, Staley gives us her thumbs up, then we're good. I'm just saying, if you feel it's sexist, you're perfectly within your right to feel that way. I, I I get where you're coming from. I understand where you're coming from. But, you know, Philadelphia, it has always been the city of brotherly love as, as long as I've been alive. And, you know, may, maybe we can change that at some point, but it's not going to be this year with these unis. And I got to say, I'm with you. This These are solid doves. These, is a, these are a solid W. I would rock this. Yes. Unlike some of the prior versions like the complicated black one with like city landscapes um dave dave it's boathouse row god it's not (laughs) i don't know why people were so confused about it it's boathouse row y'all come on too much it's too much (laughs) there are other there are other jerseys that have that have way too much going on Anything the Jazz have come out with in the last three seasons has just been I'll too tell you, much. It, it reminded me of those old school Nuggets ones with City of Denver on them. Remember those? I remember those, yeah. Matumbo War. Anyway, um, I, I think I like they, got, they got a dub here. For sure, a dub on the, on the Brotherly Love jerseys. 
Listen, they're still not my favorite city edition jerseys in the NBA of all time. Those honors go to the Minnesota Purple Prince unis. Mm. I I have I have a Rob Covington Purple Prince uni that I still rock when I play basketball. So I, I just like to embody the spirit of Lord Covington when I play. It just I'm sucks. always uh, some fans are gonna hate this, but I always like those uh, those Vice style Miami ones, like the ones with the weird colors. I don't mind. I didn't mind those either, just because I've just because Grand Theft Auto Vice City is probably my second favorite Grand Love Theft that. Auto game. Behind all, the, all the old school music that and that and that goes with those jerseys perfectly. San Andreas is the best Grand Theft Auto game ever made. Yes, uh, and, and you could get lost not even in the missions, just like exactly. around the city doing nothing. Uh, I, I'm not going to speak on Grand Theft Auto 6, that's for a different podcast, but let's so. move on and let's talk about another piece that Harrison did. And this is about our newly acquired, newly signed Montreal Harrell. And Harrison is asking if he can replicate his sixth man of the year season with the Sixers. Now, for those of you that don't know, Montreal Harrell had this sixth man of the year award in Dave. What year was that? Do you remember? 20, 2020. That's uh, that sounds about right. And pre bubble. If that's possible, then it's a double-edged sword, right? Because on the one hand, sure, you get somebody that is productive in that spot, somebody that can legitimately spell Embiid and maybe supply some kind of defensive moxie if Doc is willing to go to some of these small ball lineups, have like Montreal Harrell and like, four smaller guards and forwards out there that would work. But then on the flip side, it eliminates the possibility of us getting some Paul Reed action. So I'm kind of on the fence. Yeah. I'm, I'm hesitant even by the first part of it, because assuming that when Joel Embiid sits, you have to have Harden, sometimes Harden, sometimes Maxi and sometimes both. If you were to put that combo, that one-five combo in a pick and roll, like let's say you're playing a brutal matchup like the Cleveland Cavaliers and, and Garland wants to run one-five screens with Allen, uh-huh. I mean, Montrez is known as a C defending those pick and rolls, and that's how Doc Rivers lost his job with the Clippers, right? The Nuggets realized that Doc wasn't going to adjust, and so they just peppered him with high screens, high screens, and he couldn't defend it. So he does offer some rim protection. Uh, he does play bigger than he is, which Grim noted. But if you take him out away from the hoop and, and you've got Maxi or, or Harden as the point of attack and then him backing it up, it's going to be some barbecue chicken against some of these teams. Like, you know, who, you're putting James Harden, I guess, on Garland and Maxi on Donovan Mitchell. That's, that's a brutal matchup for Philly. Whether Embiid's in the game or not, it's going to be tough. And it's all about like spacing on the offense and Montreal Harrell. If he's out there, it's just, it's just like Ben Simmons out there almost where it's just like, he's just not a threat from the outside from the mid range or the three point line or anything like that. He'll be deadly as like a roll guy, but he can literally only roll to the rim. And I, I guess there's some kind of benefit with that in that 
James Harden play with somebody on that offensive skill set with Clint Capella, so maybe he can maximize what Montreal Harrell can do. Does that make sense? There's there's a few players in the league you could say throw as good of a screen roll lob as Harden, maybe Trey Young, maybe Luca, but Harden might ha- might have a claim right there for best in the game, and he hasn't had that type of threat to catch it over the rim and and finish it. Um, he's got his best version of that now as a sixer that he's had. Harrison did point out some postseason concerns, but he does point out that they'll matter less if the Sixers have a healthy and fresh MB come playoff time. Um, just, if that's true, then I feel like during the regular season, we're going to get a lot of Harold games where he plays like 35 to 38 minutes when Embiid is on the bench. Maybe we get some Harold and Paul Reed in the front court with like Tobias or, you know, uh, Montreal and Tobias to start the game and then Paul Reed coming off the bench. Like that would make sense if you're really trying to spell Embiid while at the same time, at least being somewhat competent offensively and defensively. Yeah. I think to get, in order to get these good valued contracts, like if you want Dwight Howard to come for a vet man, if you want Andre Drummond, I think you kind of have to, to make them these promises. Like, look, Joel, has missed X number of games over the following years. You'll get all those starts. Sometimes that's more than 20. And then, of Uh course, all the minutes when he sits. So I wouldn't be shocked if they talked some, you know, about that type of role. And that doesn't bode well for Paul Reed, obviously, who fans want to see and deserve to see. I mean, his his steals, deflections, and blocks numbers have been off the charts. He certainly profiles as a higher upside defender in some more switch-heavy lineups than Trez will um, so what you're getting from Trez is more of a refined offensive attack, which James Harden will like throwing him lobs, but what if they're paying for it at the other end? And if it works and if they're winning these regular season games and they're in the hunt, they're getting a top four seed. Do you trust Doc Rivers to then go away and experiment from time to time throughout the year to get to those lineups that we know we're really going to need when we're trying to defend Boston and Trez probably isn't going to be the best answer. You saw what Boston did to Andre Drummond, who many people thought was Joel's best backup as a sixer over the years. The legend Um, of Andre Drummond continues. And yeah, and as soon as he had to defend, you know, Al Horford far away from the rim, as soon as he wound up in some of those like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum pick and rolls, he was he was barbecue and they couldn't play him much. So they preferred Nick Claxton in those scenarios. But unlike uh, Ime Udoka, or unlike Steve Nash, if Doc likes his guy from the regular season, he may not pivot at all. And so that's that's the playoff concern. The only thing that concerns me about Paul Reed, and this is the only thing that has really concerned me about Paul Reed, and I get why Doc is hesitant to go to him. And uh, Jackson covered this in his season outlook for Paul Reed, the six and a half fouls per 36 minutes. And across 140 playoff minutes, he averaged seven and a half fouls per 36 minutes. So I I guess giving up those kinds of free points, especially come playoff time, is not exactly something that Doc wants to put up with, quote unquote. Well, Paul would probably be the first one to tell you 
half of those were dunks or layups, not free points. And half the time there, I fouled a big who wasn't a great free throw shooter. So don't look at it as like me giving away points. I'm protecting points. Uh, and, and Doc might say, I don't mind the fouls if he's playing nine to 10 minutes. It's when we want to ramp him up to 25 minutes, then that becomes more of an issue. So, you know, they'll have to figure that out. If, if they don't swing a trade here and he's not involved, I think you're right. We'll see him more at the four than we would have, or than more than we did during the Paul Reed victory tour as at the five last year. Because both he and Harrell are a little bit undersized for the five anyway. I, I like the idea of pairing Embiid with Paul Reed and then throwing out, you know, Maxi Harden. Well, you probably wouldn't have Harden out there with Embiid and Maxi as well, unless you're trying to get Tobias a breather. But a lineup that is interesting to me is Maxi Harden, Thibault. Reed and Embiid like there's a lot there offensively and we'll talk about Thibel in a second when we get at, out of the break but you have a good amount of defense you look very versatile offensively because both bigs can step out and hit mid-range or three-point shoot or three-point shots I think that's a lineup that should be at least tried in the preseason and maybe spots in the regular season especially when we get to those dog days in like February and March and like Embiid has been sitting Tobias really needs a rest and we just need to get somebody that can provide some plus minutes well let's let's bookmark this and let's check it come February and see if you've gotten what you want because if you if there's certain lineups you hope doc to experiment with you don't often get it like I wanted to see the Sixers were not in the top 10 defensively last year. So I kept thinking, and you and I talked about it a lot, like can we try some of these Matisse and Danny Green lineups so that you don't only have one really good perimeter stopper out there? Yeah. Uh, and we never really got it. So the this unfortunate thing for the Sixers is they appear to sometimes predetermine their rotations and then just do it regardless. Like I remember when Harden came, we were like, all right, so Doc's going to tether him to Tobias and then he's going to stagger Maxi with Embiid. And that's kind of how they rolled with it for a little while. But what started to bug us was, but then Harden never gets those minutes with like all snipers, guys who just love to gun and really space the floor for him. Um, so, you know, you, you miss out when you don't experiment. I, I would like to see the same lineup you just named. It sounds pretty interesting. Um, the more experimentation, the more tinkering, I think the better. Let's, so let's look at that lineup and let's look at a few others. Because there's plenty of load management to go around. You don't want P.J. Tucker oh, yeah. playing like 80 games next season. God, no. One, one last thing we go into before we go into the break. Talking about the offensive potential of Montreal Harrell. In certain lineups, he's kind of a net negative, isn't he? Well, the, the most infamous thing was he was a net negative against Jokic, and they should have played Ivica Zubac. Right. And they got eliminated from the bubble, and let's let's just call a spade a spade. Doc threw that series away when he had the better team by far. Mm-hmm. He might have cost Kawhi Leonard a ring. A lot of people in L.A. think he did, and they have never looked back since they moved on to Ty Lue, who's a far superior coach at this point in their respective careers as Doc, even though Doc's Hall of Famer. So... There are those lineups where it's not going to work. We talked about it a little bit with the ones with Drummond. When you're playing a team like the Celtics, they play five out. They have some small lineups. 
he's going to have to keep up with smaller guards and switch, and that's going to be a problem for him. Right. And those, he could be a negative, and you know, you hope that Doc might turn to Paul Reed, who's got a little bit more versatility and athletic agility far from the rim. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember watching some of that series against Miami when the Sixers really struggled for a rebound. Guess who was the first guy off the bench? Did much to our chagrin was uh, DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan. I think that Doc answers questions like, what do I need? I need a defensive rebound. That's where I'm going with Trez. I trust him. Whereas maybe someone like Daryl Morey would be thinking, there won't be a defensive rebound if you can't contest the shot. So let's go with someone like Paul Reed. Right. Um, but Doc's held the cards there on the rotation. So we'll see. Well, we'll, we'll definitely see because from a defensive rebounding standpoint, Harold. Uh, maybe small sample size, but throughout his career, he averages about 5.7 defensive rebounds per 36 minutes. Uh, I'm not sure how great that is. His per po- his per 100 possessions from defensive rebounding standpoint are very much in the like sevens and eights. So the potential is there, but just like I said, offensively, like I just feel he's a net negative. I don't know if he should really be getting extended extended minutes come playoff time, specifically come playoff time. I, I but, don't offensively I'll push back and I think he's a good benefit offensively. Um, I think Harden's gonna love being able to hit him with these lobs. He's got a little experience playing with him in the past. All right. As does Tucker, as does Tobias, right? And with the Clippers for a little part of that for season. a little bit, yeah. So I think offensively he'll be an upgrade over Reed. In certain instances, you know, Reed's potential to maybe spread the floor could open things up more for Harden or Maxi, whereas Trez will be rolling. But I think on the defense end, like we've seen already, we've seen if you get Dwight Howard, he can protect the rim and rebound a little bit. Uh, Andre Drummond offers you the same thing and Trez does too, but that doesn't necessarily help your defensive lineup overall. Good you're, point. You're still going to be a sieve. You, Doc played Dwight a lot against Atlanta and Nate McMillan must have absolutely loved that because he's yeah. who's scoring at will. I'm like, all right, he's a great rebounder, but we're not going to give you any rebounds. We're going to make every shot. <laughs> all right. Well, let's go into the break a little bit. Uh, satisfy some of the ad sponsors. This is the out of sight podcast on the Liberty Ballers podcast network. It's Dave and Adio, of course, on your weekly uh, journey around the site here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about another player who is maybe at a bit of a crossroad this season, and uh, we'll get into that after the break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. It is the Out of Sight Podcast and the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I am Adil Royster. Dave Early is with me as always. We talked about a couple of players in the first part of the podcast, as well as uh, some Uni Watch, some Uni Watch 2022. Uh Pre-order your City of Brotherly Love jerseys right now, fans. Uh, that's that's cheap plug and in the hopes that, you know, Sixers management, you know, sends me and you some. Um, yes. But let's talk about another player who I feel like is under the same scrutiny this year that Ben Simmons has all, had always gotten before he was traded. And that's Matisse Thibel. I think that this year is the year where it's kind of put up or shut up time for Thibel. We all know how great he is defensively. 
And um, Paul Hudrick pointed this out in his pre in his player preview for the year. All NBA defender each of the last two seasons as a reserve. Tops in the NBA in steal percentage, second in block percentage among perimeter defenders, and third in defensive box plus minus. He's an outstanding defender at the NBA level. It's always been offensively with Thibel. And is this the year, Dave, where he's a restricted free agent next year, $6.2 million qualifying offer, if Thibel is still the kind of player where it's just like, if he's out there, you're playing four on five. I don't know if the Sixers extend him another offer past the $6.2 million qualifying offer, and they'll force teams to try to give him a long-term deal. Cause I don't know if he'll get one from the Sixers. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, uh, you know, what they could do is they could station him in the corners instead of asking him to hit, so many above the break threes. If he only shot corner threes, he would have shot a higher percentage last year. I think yes. half, half of his threes were above the break, which is a little bit further than the corners. Whereas you contrast someone like PJ Tucker, who almost exclusively shoots like over 90% of his three point attempts are from that corner. So Doc deployed Matisse a little bit further away and they could try the PJ Tucker strategy there, but he's still not a great shooter. And I think, like you mentioned, he's in the, the doghouse with the fans. It started with the vaccination thing. Uh-huh. The, the team has intimated that that might have impacted his confidence. Keith Pompey has reported like he's never had a true full offseason recently to fully dedicate. There was the pandemic. Then he played for the Olympics representing his home country, Australia. So I, I don't know. I don't like... I don't expect his jump shot to look vastly different. If he were to resolve to change his form, that might take more than this summer. You know, a guy like Drew Hanlon, unfortunately we had to live through the Markel Fultz stuff. Like you don't don't scrimmage, you don't play in any games. You just change your mechanics and that's your, that's your whole, like it takes months to do that. And um, it's not easy. If he comes back and his form visibly looks different, I'll have higher expectations. If not, I'll say, all right, just put him in the corners. I don't expect him to be lights out. And I do expect Daryl Moore sort of talked about this the other day. And in, in reference to Ben Simmons, I believe like you have to have a certain mindset to play in Philly. Uh-huh. The fans are going to ride this dude, Matisse, if he's missing shots, Doc Rivers likes to pull him after like a couple misses anyway. Yeah. I'm wondering like, you know, if the, how if short he, is that leash going to be? The, the leash might be really short, and that can't be good for his confidence. Because you know, if he were traded, Jake Fisher said like Daryl shot this dude with every team. I think Woj even joked about it. Sixers might have come come out and pushed back via the media and said like, no, 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 we very much value him. We're not going to give him away. Um, but it sounds like they really tried to trade him. And if he wound up somewhere with fans were a little bit less intense like if he was in orlando with faults he could miss a lot of shots without really worrying he was going to hear about it right but here it's a different story the onus is on winning now and winning every game and fans are going to lose their patience quickly with a guy like him especially I, if he can't play in toronto again you cannot play in toronto again <laughs> how much of Thibault's uh three point well lack of three point prowess is offset by the fact that when Harden is in the game, Seibel was 
actually really good as a screener and a roller and just like a cutter. Like throw him on the baseline and just like wait for and he'll just wait for the defense to forget he's there and then he'll just cut to the rim. Like that's got to be that's that's a good thing. That's positive. That's something you can that's something you can use on the court. Like sure, it doesn't space as well as a three point shooter would, but at the same time, if somebody just sags off him enough so that Thibault gets to the rim. Just throw it up, lob it up, and let the man come down on it. Yeah, if you if you can leave him in the corners and a defender had to at least consider him because he was what old Brett Brown is and playing peekaboo by cutting or you know sneaking into the dunker spot, kind of like Danny Green did. He makes it look like he's going to cut all the way through uh, and get him the ball for a dunk. Or just – and then it all comes out of this. He's got to take – and make about 35% of those threes, I think, on those from those corners to stay on the court. Yeah. If you get, if you get up to 36, 37, he's going to get himself an extension, if not from Philly, from another team for sure. Um, it's when he's hiding there, being ignored, and then either not taking the shot or missing it or both, that's when you could see Miami just say, all right, we're not even going to look at him defensively. And, and that was always... That was always my thing about Ben Simmons, right? Like, sure, they're going to leave you there, but at least think about taking the shot. Like, Thibault will at least attempt to shoot it. Simmons, when he was in the dunker spot, at least he's occupying a big full time because you don't, you know. That's you also might, true. You might occasionally bait Joel that he cannot make the, the high-low pass to the, to the post, but someone is on Ben when he's in that dunker spot. And – they weren't leaving him under the hoop to double Joel very often. You know, they, right. were, they were leaving someone else because they know if a shot goes up or they get it to Ben, at least he's going to dunk it with Matisse. You're kind of ignoring him. And that's why you get some of those backdoor cuts that look good, but it may not have the same impact in terms of gravity as mm-hmm. putting a big down there. So, you know, that's why it's tough. You saw in the finals, Golden State was able to do it. They had lineups with Draymond Green and Looney, those two guys who weren't plus shooters. And then down the stretch, the final two games, they played Gary Payton Jr. more than they played Jordan Poole. Who would have thought that? Oh, they God. did it because the other guys could shoot so well, and they got away with it, and it was it worked for them. I feel like this is a fair point that Paul made, and maybe this is the final point about Thibault. He's had a rotation spot since his first NBA game, but now PJ Tucker is going to slide into the fifth starter spot. You got DeAnthony Melton and Daniel House are pretty much locked in for bench roles. Niang and Montreal Harrell, so that's eight and nine. And that tenth guy, yeah, maybe it's viable. But as Paul pointed out, Furkan Korkmaz is still there. Shake Milton's there, Isaiah Joe, Trevlin Queen actually looked really good in summer league, so maybe he might get that 10 spot. Like, it's not guaranteed that Thibault is going to see a lot of the floor with all of these dudes out here now. Like, I like unlike previous years, there's options on this bench, and I think that's going to cost him. Yeah, I mean, he he offers one thing that almost none of those guys you mentioned can do. DeAnthony Melton and Daniel House, they can play some perimeter D. Neither quite on that level. I mean, he put an absolute masterclass on the finals MVP when they came to visit and he guarded Steph Curry around those screens. No one else on the team can do that. That was amazing, by the way. 
it was. There will be matchups where you could really use that. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna be watching a lot of minutes to close games. We're really seeing no small forward on the court, right? Right. Harden and Maxi out there, then you're gonna have Tucker and Harris out there, and we're like, hmm, who's guarding Jalen Brown effectively here? I don't know. <laughs> and it, and that's where you might root for a guy like Matisse because if he could just shoot, you know, Rich Hoffman's pointed out like you got to get to Bruce Bowen levels from that baseline corner. And then you can play big minutes in, in huge games. I think that Seibel has a role on this team, like I said, but it's going to be very situational. And I do think that I agree with that. There are certain teams where you are going to want to put Seibel out there and say, look, lock this dude down. Otherwise, we're probably not winning this game. I don't. I agree with you. You can't say that to DeAnthony Melton. Probably can't say that about Daniel House either. Niang, we know what a sieve he is on defense. And then Montreal Harrell, like I, can he guard one through four like Thibel theoretically could? Absolutely not. So there are going to be times where we're going to see Thibel out there literally because there's nobody else that we can trust defensively. And Thibel is a pain in the ass defensively. Yeah, I'd like to see some lineups with Matisse, Melton, Tucker, Paul Reed, and just just kind of lean into some of these creative defensive lineups that they can put out there. You know, the offense might struggle, but if you put a Maxi or if you put a Harden or if you put an Embiid, um, it might not struggle as much as you'd worry about. I, I like where the Sixers are going into the season because I feel like they have more options than bef- than ever before, I feel like. There are more options that could be theoretically thrown out there that I at least trust a little bit more. Yeah, if you wanted to come up with a – they went all in on former Rockets, that's there. They went all in on Dogs, that's there. They, okay. they went all in to ramp up the defense. You could run that. So – Houston Dogs Rockets defense. Either way, I'm down. Has been the theme of the summer. Maury's bringing his old band back. Uh, all you need now is, you know, Eric Gordon, I guess. Uh, the the trades are still out there. No, I'm kidding. I no, I, I do not want to give up substantial assets for Eric Gordon. I don't know if I'm for Ariza. <laughs> Ariza will at least be cheap. You can probably get him for like a second rounder in 2028. I don't know. But uh, yeah. maybe not the full cast of Rockets, but I, I like where this team is right now. Yeah, yeah. So we are going to see how this all pans out with training camp and uh, preseason looming because it is mid-September. The calendar is changing from summer to fall, and that just means the Sixers basketball is going to be back sooner than you know. But you know who has all of that covered? Dave, you know who has all that covered. That's right, Liberty Ballers. Check us out on the site, libertyballers.com. Listen to all of the Liberty Ballers podcasts on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. And you can find our podcast. You can find Gastroenteritis Blues, Jazz and Paul with the Sixers Daily Roundup. We got everything covered from training camp to trophy lift. We got it all covered. Yes, sir. (laughs) we'll talk to everybody next week until then go sixers go birds uh go phillies uh go philadelphia how about that let's just end with that go philadelphia i'm gonna i'm gonna make bold prediction and uh devontae smith rebounds from his donut last week i i like it i like it i'm gonna get he gets a touchdown 
I'm going to go on FanDuel right now and place that bet because I am a degenerate <laughs> and I am easily swayed. So thank you, David. Smitty. <laughs> I'll talk, talk to everybody next week and we're going to get out of here. Thank <laughs> you.